Hey everyone, this is Pastor John. I'm here with uh, Victor Kim, uh, who's our pastoral resident uh, here at Liberty River Wards. And last Sunday, May 8th, uh, in the sermon, I mentioned that as we're getting into Genesis 1, there's going to be a lot of questions that come up, not just questions that have come up since we've begun this series, but questions that I've regularly received ever since I've become a pastor. Questions about how an ancient text is to be understood in a modern world, like the six days of creation. Are they 24-hour days? What do you do with that? How do you understand that when you think about geology and biology? Is there only one acceptable understanding of what's going on there, for example? And we're going to get into a lot of other stuff, like when we talk uh, about uh, the first sin and the effects of it and the serpent in the garden and um, discussion about uh, some of the similarities and differences in the Genesis account uh, between men and women. And I don't know if we're going to do a specific Liberty mailbag uh, podcast slash video about every one of those, but we want to hear your questions and we want to acknowledge we're going to need a little bit more of a platform besides the pulpit on Sundays to look at some of these questions. And we want to listen to questions and honor questions and answer as best we can, including, as always, if that answer is in part, we don't know. So we are in Genesis 1. Uh, we just looked at the first three days of creation on May 8th. We're going to be looking at the second three days of creation, days four, five, and six this coming Sunday, May 15th. So we thought it would be a great time to talk a little bit about the history of the church's handling of what exactly is meant by day in Genesis 1. And Victor's going to lead us, and I'm going to offer some commentary and even ask him some questions about it as we go along. Uh, but he's going to be kind of our uh, master learner, you can think of him that way, as we look at some of these issues together. So Victor, why don't you take us from there? Thanks, John. I'll, I'll do my best and try to articulate uh, what we're trying to go for here. I think a good place to start um, and a good place that would particularly be helpful for uh, Christians in general is to actually take a step back from the Genesis account and actually ask the broader question of the relationship between scripture and science, especially as it pertains to the creation account, because I think a lot of the questions that come up, uh, yes, have to do with the actual text, but uh, from the questions that I've received and the conversations that I've had with non-believers and uh, even uh, Christians and even in seminary classes is, uh, has much to do with science. And so I think we just need to spend maybe one or two minutes there. And I think that uh, when we think about science, oftentimes we think that science and scripture are at ends with one another. They're on opposite sides of a spectrum where uh, if you believe in science, you can't believe in the Bible, or you believe in the Bible, you can't believe in science. And even if you believe in both, then it's, you know, you're kind of mixing them in such a way that uh, it doesn't make any sense. But I just want to start by saying that uh, you know, the development of like science and the scientific method uh, was actually done uh, to actually further investigate God's creation. So Sir Francis Bacon, he was the 
Uh, first one accredited to um, or you know credited for the scientific method. You know we all learned that in uh, I think even in elementary school they're doing that in science classes. Uh, uh, his intention was that he looked at the world around him. Uh, he was a devout Anglican, and he just said, this is so amazing. <laughs> How can we further investigate uh, what God is doing in creation? And, and that actually is in accord with what Paul writes in Romans 1, right? That God's eternal power and divinity is made clear in his creation where it's, it's enough for to convict all humans and leave them without excuse in, in recognizing that there is a God. Obviously, we need special revelation to show us, you know, what how it is that we should be living. But God is making himself clearly known uh, in a creation, more clearly in his holy and divine word. But uh, it's there in creation. And so uh, just very quickly, when we think about science and the question of origin and science, um, science in general is operating on the idea of what may happen, right? So a scientist uh, will pursue a career with science with some kind of preliminary assumption, uh, and he puts that to the test, and it needs to be repeated uh, to be verified, right? And so with the tested hypothesis, you see, okay, am I going to get the same result? If I get a different result, why did I get a different result? And you're reproducing this test to either validate or falsify this assumption. And so broadly, when we think about science, this is what we can think of. And uh, it's interesting because the, and we run into problems with the creation of the universe because it doesn't fit this model, right? You can't recreate the creation of the universe, right? We can have computer modeling, but computer modeling is based on our own assumptions that we're importing and uh, different programs that we've created. And so uh, like I said, the creation of the universe doesn't fit this model of science and being able to test it uh, so neatly. Um, so first and foremost, when, we, when we're looking at Genesis, uh, what, the, the creation account in Genesis, not that we're dismissing science at all. And uh, the listeners or watchers will, will actually hear later in terms of how we can actually deal with yeah, you know, dating, uh, different things like that, fossils and uh, scientific discoveries that prove that the world is not a thousand year, thousands of years old, but instead billions of years old. But when we're coming to scripture, when we're coming to Genesis 1, uh, we're recognizing that it's a question of history and not science first and foremost. Uh, it's, it's affirming the fact that, okay, there was a creation account and what happened at that creation account. And so um, I, I think you know, for history, it's it's hard to account for unique events and to verify did something happen in the past. And uh, if you guys are, if anyone listening or watching is interested, part one of Can We Trust the Bible series, we actually go into, uh, you know, why we can trust that the biblical account of the creation of uh, Christ on earth and uh, all the uh, people in the Old Testament and those events and the dating of that is real and true and so if you're interested in that's that's available on our youtube channel uh right now and so that's where i, I wanted to start in, in the sense of science and um the scriptures they're not at ends with one another science and the scientific method was developed in a sense to actually further explore god's beauty and there are ways not that we can falsely harmonize it to but in a sense of really affirming what is true god has created uh, the universe, you know, out of nothing. And 
Uh, this is probably the most important thing, not the most important thing, but in a lot of ways, if you want to go at Christianity, uh, if you want to attack the faith, uh, I, I think the best way to do it is to go, go after creation, because without that, then that's where everything begins, right? That's where everything is, uh, just as Stephen preached two Sundays ago on uh, the, uh, I believe it was May 1st, uh, where uh, really God is at the beginning of everything, and that really defines everything about who we are and our faith. And so uh, we're not questioning science here. Uh, we're not saying that, uh, you know, science is wrong or anything like that, but we're actually uh, putting in question the application of the scientific method. And so we need to first start with a, uh, with a sure foundation. What is our foundation and in terms of authority? And this is why I'm encouraging the listeners to go back to that first um, you know, session of can we trust the Bible? Because uh, we go into, you know, um, authority and how we know what we know and how that really defines uh, all, all, everything that we have here in, in Christianity. And so I think as we start there and we look and think about the creation origins of the universe, um, really this bring, you know, leads us to humility, right? Because uh, it's, we're not building something on an uncertain foundation of our own assumptions or our own findings, but we're humbling ourselves before uh, holy and triune God who's revealed himself to us. And so I think that's the place to start. Uh, so I don't know if you want to comment on any of that or have any questions to follow up with that. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to circle back to a lot of things you talk, you're talking about, relationship between um, scripture and science. Um, I think it's worth saying also, um, understanding of the scientific method, like, is uh, relatively recent. Like, like the scientific method, when we think about, like, the arc of history, we're going back, uh, you know, many thousands of years when we look at these ancient texts, and just even, even an understanding of a scientific method is not in view at all, certainly not a modern scientific method. And I think we're going to come back to that in the, in the episodes ahead as we go on with this stuff. Um, I think it's also worth saying, um, a scientist would say, whatever kind of science that you are, is science develops. Science is not static. Science uh, can be revised. You know, even like, you know, we're looking at like Einstein's understanding of space-time and like how that interacts with like quantum theory and things like this. It's like, like, like there's a lot of cutting edge stuff that kind of revises the questions, the scientific questions we will bring to scripture and that will keep changing with good science. It'll definitely keep changing with bad science of which there is a lot. You know? um, and so I, th I think that's worth saying as well. And the other thing I would say is this, I think it's been kind of like a truism and thrown out there a lot and I threw it out there last Sunday in the sermon. Um, the scriptures are not a science textbook. Um, and you mentioned that it's history and, and it, it is, but and I'm getting into my opinion here a little bit more. Different people would nuance this differently, but it's also, it's not a science book, but it's also not a history book, at least not in the sense of modern history and modern history values. Uh, there's a triangle that is pretty familiar. Uh, I don't know how this is showing up in terms of uh, uh, it's probably, probably see that. Could you awesome. hold that up one more time? Can if this be reversed? Out. Can this be reversed? I, I believe it, it's going to come through. It's going to come through. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so like what I've got here is basically with, with scripture, um, there's this triangle that's always going on in every passage of scripture anywhere. And there's three things that are always happening in the telling of history. One, there's history. 
there's actually what actually happened. What actual is the historical referent that's being described? But you never in scripture have that set apart from theology. Mm. Um, like, what is God's interpretation of that event? Even the apostle John, he says at the end of the gospel of John, if my goal was to set out everything Jesus ever did that I saw, just forget about it. The world <laughs> wouldn't be able to hold all the books. So you always have human writers through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, what's most important here? What are the things I'm mainly trying to get across about God while I describe a historical event, which already is very much not like a video camera description right. of the event or, uh, or a microscope you know, description of, say, something we might want to observe more carefully in terms of what happened in terms of chemistry or biology in terms of, or geology, when we're looking at something like Genesis one. So you always have history, you always have theology. And then you also have this other layer, which is aesthetic. Mm. Um, and that is always there too, even in modern journalism. Let's say I've got a, a, a newspaper writer, the first rough draft of history is your newspaper. You've got, you've got a philosophical grid, you know, the scriptures would call it theology. Um, but you've got, a, you've got some ideology coming up against the event, almost always, even if it's the roughest description of what happened. And then you've got an aesthetic. You don't want it to come out just like off the cuff. Any good writer is going to carefully think through, how do I want to present this? And definitely you have all three in every passage of scripture. And that doesn't really come across as like a history te textbook also has all three in view, by the way. But it tends to kind of Come at, come at it as if like you were there with a video camera a little bit more. And scripture is just frankly not that interested in that a lot of the time. It does not mean that nothing historical happened. Right. Um, it is saying something very much historical, but you've always got those other two factors in view. And the last thing I'll say about that is Genesis does not just have one aesthetic. It's got lots of narrative beginning to end, chapters one through 50. It's also got a ton of poetry, Right. Uh, a lot of it. And um, something at least poetic is for sure happening in what I suggested last Sunday was song form in Genesis 1. So even when we're thinking about it as history, we got to kind of keep all that stuff in play. It's like, are we, th are we talking about like Houghton Mifflin third grade social studies class textbook? No, we're not. <laughs> we're talking about um, a, a theological frame for understanding what really actually happened in the world, as well as how do we want to tell the story? As we, as we mentioned last week, just the prosaic, this, then this, then this, isn't going to cut it when we come to the beauty of creation. Um, it comes forth something more like a song with refrains, and it was so, and it was good, evening and morning, first day, second day, third day, on and on it goes. So I'll stop there, but as we dive into the history of it, I think that stuff's all, all, all worth noting as well. No, yeah, I think that's super valuable. And thank you so much for bringing that up. And I think, you know, we just concluded our series on Mark and we see that playing out in the Synoptic Gospels, right? Why does Jesus say different things after he calms the storm? Uh, did he say all three? Did he say none of those things? Or maybe each author just chose to record one of the things he said for theological emphasis. It doesn't change the fact that it happened but these history writers are recording in such a way to make a point. So thank you so much for bringing that up. I think that's super yeah. helpful for our listeners. Uh, so thanks. Um, yeah. All right. So just, I guess to continue on, um, and I'm trying to think back on what I was saying in my introductory comments, but maybe just one more comment about 
science and uh, Christianity. And I think we should recognize that science is not some kind of neutral activity that yields conclusions that are just universally agreed upon. That's what you were getting at uh, in your yeah. comments as well. And instead they're theory-based and often, you know, subject to change and permutation. And, uh, but that doesn't mean we despise science as Christians. Uh, in no way should we look at it with disdain, but we should really give appreciation to it as a gift of God, uh, but also take its conclusions as, uh, you know, not with the complete skepticism, but also recognizing that, there might be some fallible analysis of this general revelation that God is showing to us. And we need to constantly be going back to scripture and what God has said as that final form of authority. And I think you were getting this at this in your comments also, but just recognizing that uh, what the purpose of scripture is, uh, you know, it's not uh, meant to be a science textbook or just a pure history textbook, but it does include some things about science and history, but that's not really the point. It's able to speak to science and history, but really Genesis 1 is not concerning itself with uh, to, you know, trying to be a scientific textbook in that sense. So uh, we really need to just keep going back to the Bible as our only constant, as what God has spoken uh, to us and um, what we can glean from it. So yeah, I think that that's a great way to start. So uh, John, uh, where we're going to go next is uh, just, uh, there are actually a lot more than four uh, views of, but I, I think in general, the four that we're going to cover today cover, uh, there's a lot of overlap with some, um, you know, I guess I don't want to say minor views, but there are other, I guess, branched off views, uh, you know, like the, uh, day, it's, you know, the analogical day interpretation, yeah. which, you know, it also, you know, is tied into day age view, but it's distinct because they differ on a few things. But for the purpose of our recording uh, this afternoon, we'll just be looking at four, uh, basically the calendar day interpretation, which is the 24 hour view. Second would be the day age interpretation. And I'm sorry, so we're only going to look at three and the framework interpretation. So, and so like um, the, the, the analogical view would be a fourth and yeah, people can right. people can Google that if you want. To. Right. I mean, we if we want at the end, I have some notes right. on that so we can talk about it. But I'd like to just yeah, you're right. I, think, I think in my I'm I'm mostly I mean, most of most of the literature is on those three, but they are growing and there's other there's other nuances within each view. So there's frankly dozens of views, but those three have been um, uh, pretty popular. Sure. So, so uh, John, maybe I'll, I'll just start and ask you. Um, what is it that, <laughs> what hold do you take? And uh, uh, I mean, what, you know, um, which one do you hold to? And uh, maybe we can just jump in there and um, we'll go through yeah. it. Yeah, so we're gonna get into what each view is. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the, so one of the, one of the views that we're gonna get into that I really appreciate, and I think it's not a cop out. I think you can, you can hold no matter it's 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 the one that you can hold i think most easily with the other two or mm -hmm. either of them or neither of them it's called the framework view but mm -hmm. it's it's one that i i think everyone acknowledges because once you see it you really can't unsee it and that's that uh there's a there's a certain like heading for days one through three and then a certain heading for days three through four um and so the framework view as it as it's called doesn't emphasize the 24-hour aspect of the day, not because God couldn't create in 24-hour days, and not necessarily because he didn't create 
in 24 hour days. Maybe he did, you know, uh, so the position goes, so the position goes, um, but that that's just not the main point of Genesis one. The main point is what uh, God through the human author, you know, Moses or his editors or his team, whoever his scribes were, let's say, um, were trying to communicate mainly something uh, with the aesthetic and theological frame along with some historical aspects of how things came to be. And that is phase one through three, you have day one, um, you have day and night, light being created in contrast to the darkness, um, or, which creates a situation in which there's time, morning and evening. Day two is um, the creation of uh, basically the Dive, waters and yeah, yeah. The, kind of the separation of the waters, waters above, mm -hmm. waters below. Um, and, and day three is the clearing away of the dry land. And what all these things, three things do is they basically take the problem of uh, formlessness or uh, uh, wastelandness in uninhabitability of, of, of uh, the, the first created elements and they make them inhabitable. Hmm. It's the create, it's the setting, it's the landscape of creation. And then days four through six is the filling. And, um, you know, day, day four, you get the creation of the, 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 the luminaries, uh, the lights and the stars, yes, the luminaries, uh, sun and moon and stars day five, you get the creation of both the sea creatures and the air creatures, fish and birds. And then day six, you get uh, beasts and um, and creeping things, whatever they are. I'd like to know. I mean, I'm guessing insects. And then human beings. But like even beyond the forming and the filling, there's this deeper significance, right? Because day one and day four correspond, right? Um, day 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 four is the filling of that uh, that, that that the heavens, uh, which were which were created, the heavens and the earth, uh, with with those luminaries. Uh, on day, day, the day one situation lines up with the day four situation. The day two situation lines up with the day five situation. And, you know, we had the, the separation of the waters and the firming up of the skies. And then those skies and waters are filled with birds and fish. Uh, and then the day three and day six situation kind of align with the clearing away of the land. And then day six, the filling of the land with beasts and creeping things and humans. So, um, the forming and filling of each space corresponds. And um, it, it's, it's just, it really seems to be bringing out to the fore, this is really ordered. This is really intentional. And then of course, this is moving towards a crescendo of the crown of creation, or some people refer to it as the fruit of creation, which is a human being, which is uh, uh, really the, the, what everything in Genesis one is leading to is these human beings that are not like any other creation and really are the best thing, to put it in a way to describe it to my children, the best thing in creation. And actually everything from the very beginning is leading up to that. Um, did it happen in 24 hour days? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but, but this framework view really is, seems to be so clearly, the flow of it seems to be so clearly the main point. The framework view really, emphasizes that uh, over and above other concerns. And as you can imagine, like if you hold to the 24 hour day view, of which there are some benefits according to the text, some downsides, um, you can use that with the framework. Uh, the day age view that, that basically says, um, 
it's it still happens in that order day one through six but it's not necessarily like 24 hour days it means more like an epoch or an era you can still see the framework within that if that makes sense so i see it as like a standalone way of viewing it or one that fits kind of, kind of nicely with whatever ever view you take but in my humble opinion it does the most honor to the text as a whole. Mm. So it's the one that I major in. Yeah, I think uh, another way that I've heard the days one to three and the corresponding four, five, six days talked about is that days one, two, and three with the lights, sky, waters, and day three with the dry land and all of that. And with uh, the filling in days five, four through six is that days one to three are these creation kingdoms and the creature kings are now uh, presented in days four through six. And on the seventh day, you have, you know, the Lord who is now resting and who is ruler over all of those creature kingdoms and creature kings. And I think, um, like you said, as it is giving a good, um, I forgot the term you used, but, you know, considering the whole of scripture, even as we're looking at like dietary restrictions on why can't you eat shrimp because they're kind of like these kingdom crossers right where they're they're underwater but it's like why why, why do you have why do you have legs why are you walking around and scuttling about <laughs> that's that's where land and so even with that it's it, there's an emphasis on this order wholeness and the kingdoms that you're belonging to and these distinctness with god ruling over all um, just, uh, just maybe, I know we've been doing this in conversation form, but for the sake of people listening and watching, just want to speak back to you just in summary, maybe what you said about the framework view and, you know, you can correct me if I, yeah, I will, I will say the last thing I'll say is I intentionally did not mention day seven yet, uh, Okay. My, but I'm not going to yet. I think in my opinion, it speaks to the strength or weakness of the 23, more of the weakness of the 24 hour debut um and of the day age view um but day seven has to be accounted for mm. um i'm also kind of holding back a little bit because i'm really excited about day seven uh in the sermon uh, okay. and not that everybody's be watching this video but um, right. um there's ways in which I'm looking to nuance that but you're absolutely right day seven has to be considered but it's so not like any of the other days right. it almost has to be considered all by itself which really has to strongly work its way into what you do with these days, particularly if you take a calendar day view, like day seven, no morning and evening. Mm -hmm. It's just like, and it's like, well, there's no, there's no, there's no end to it the way there is for, for each of the other days. And so it's doing something incredibly different than right. day one through six, something theological, maybe something historical, certainly something eschatological to, uh, mm -hmm. to use a $5 theological word. Um, but maybe i just poured out the can of beans but i was holding on to that one sorry about that. so i had to speak to it so. oh yeah sorry about that yeah i mean just as you were talking I'm, my mind goes to hebrews three through four where you know it talks about god's yeah. everlasting yes. rest where it's like that a day isn't ended he's still resting and, and there's that rest that we're striving to as made clear in those chapters in Hebrews. Um, yeah, whatever interpretation you 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 take, you have to deal with day seven being endless. Right, right. And work that into the significance of days one through six beginning and ending. Right. Like whatever else is happening, I mean, that really is very aesthetic, very theological, and, you know, without subtracting the history. Right. So, well, sorry for making you spill the beans there. But uh, yeah, just in summary, why don't I 
just describe that the framework yeah. view um, is holding this creation account in Genesis one through two. Uh, it doesn't hold it literally or chronologically, but instead uh, arranged topically. And so that's why we call it this literary framework view, where it's not uh, this view holds that you know it's not concerning itself with the chronological ordering of history. You know whether or not it's 24 hours, but it's a highly stylized poetic account um, that affirms that God, that God was there in the beginning, he created everything, but written in such a way to present a, a, a theological point. And so that is the framework in a nutshell. Uh, since this is your, your view, I would say, uh, what, do you, what, what would you say some of the strengths? And I think you got some, into some of those, but maybe let's articulate a little bit into some of the strengths and uh, weaknesses for this view. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the strengths I mentioned. I think. I think. Uh, well, I'll just say. I think it brings one of the strengths is the the it deals with day seven. I think rather well, which isn't until the beginning of Genesis two, as I mentioned. It, it 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 definitely honors the contours of the text itself. It definitely um, just says you know none of us come to scripture as a blank slate. But if you do come just saying what's here, it's like, wow, something very intentional is going on in the flow of what's happening. And it's really, really not what you'd expect. Um, you can't get into the strengths of the view without naming some of the weaknesses of the other, right. but of the others. <laughs> but like um, everybody has always noticed day four is where the sun shows up, but light is on day one. Right, right. Be light. So whatever it's referring to, it can't be referring to the sun. Is it referring to the uncreated light of God? Um, Jesus says, I am the light. Well, Jesus is uncreated. So no, no, hmm. it's, it's not the light of God. It, it's, I mean, we're, we might be on the verge of heresy there to say that the light of God was, I mean, unless we're willing to say that that light was not actually created. Of but but it very very clearly says God said let there be right. light just the way He says let there be everything else and then it was created. So I mean theologically I think it's pretty important when we look at the rest of the Scripture that to say like something's going on there. The ancients weren't idiots; they knew that you know uh, day four is when the sun showed up, and yet there's light on day one. So maybe something else is happening. Um, other than like this being like a specific order of events. Um, just saying, I mean, there are some, uh, we'll get into it. We'll get into some other ways that it could be light that's created. Um, and then the other thing is, is man, that day seven, when you just come to it and it, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not like the others. Like one of these things is really, really not like the others. It is about um, the rest of God. Um, it does not end by saying, and there was evening and there was morning, the seventh day. The implication is that it keeps going, which has its all its own interesting applications. And uh, like the idea that God cre keeps creating, you know, there's a, not, 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 not in exactly the same way as the once for all create, creating, but he's also resting and um, he's seated on his throne. One of the things we're going to get into is uh, uh, there's, a, there's a very strong sense that what's what's being imaged in Genesis one is something like the creation of a cosmic temple mm. with God seated on his throne, which is what temples did. They had a seat for the deity um, and usually an image, you know, uh, spoiler, that's a human being. 
not an idol, not an actual wooden or metal idol, but a human being is the image in God's temple, and he's seated, um, though he is invisible, in, um, in that seat, you know, in, in the in the tabernacle and the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. And it, it, keeps give, it just keeps giving with the interest of the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and where the Old Testament keeps going. And I guess I'd say that's really important because Genesis 1 and 2 aren't just the beginning of the Bible. And it's not just the beginning of the world. In the original, for the original Hebrew readers, Genesis 1 and 2 is the beginning of the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, which really are about how God is worshipped you know, kind of like the crescent, the, 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 the midpoint of the five books is Leviticus and the priesthood and how people really get near the presence of God. That's like the center. So um, in some ways, Genesis 1 already has Leviticus in view as like, how is God really worshiped? Um, how's he going to get us to a place given our sin where we can draw near him and all that? All that stuff's in view from the very beginning. And it seems like Genesis is setting up us up for that from the beginning. Um and uh, day seven, I think, has a lot to do with that. And um, those are some of the strengths. The weakness is, I'll just say briefly, is um, I, I, it, it does, seem, does seem like uh, elsewhere in the Old Testament, the use, like they're looking back on those days and there are some, like, like Exodus 20 re refers to, um, it says the phrase is something like, he created all things visible and invisible in six days. Mm -hmm. And it, it, there are these shorthand phrases that like, man, you know, the Hebrews also knew what a day was. It could be a period of time, like in the day of Abraham, yada, yada, yada. They also knew a day is a day. Right. A day is a period of time. And um, when you use phrases like that, it, it seems like they did whatever the literary and theological frame of Genesis 1 and 2 was, which is also there. Um, however else they thought about it, it, it does seem like they, they probably were thinking of it as, as six days. And there's a way of hearing that, that like cancels out everything I just said, <laughs> like four hour days, but not, not really necessarily in these, these things were inseparable for them. Right. And, um, and I guess I would say, even given that, there are some ancient, ancient interpreters of scripture who struggled when you got down to the nitty gritty to say this was a, a solar day, like uh, Augustine being a very famous advantage. Mm -hmm. He wasn't Jewish. He was a, you know, a fifth and sixth century Christian uh, writer and father of the church. Um, he certainly wasn't arguing for some kind of um, evolutionary theory. He just, he just didn't see it being the main point so um gosh i feel like i just said a lot what do no, you no, think no, no, no i yeah i think everything you yeah. said was super helpful um yeah when i go back to exodus 20 and we see moses presenting it's a chronological sequence for creation and our human work week is actually grounded in that week and so right yeah. we bring up the question like how, how can a real work week be grounded in a non-chronological pattern right i mean maybe that's that's an argument for a you know 40 work week or you know, non-traditional right. <laughs> biblical basis for that what's going on uh, around the world um and i think some other things you mentioned too just with this idea of day you know hebrew is really good 
at making clear what is narrative and what is poetry, what is stylized. And even in Genesis 1, you actually have this little, uh, we haven't gotten there yet uh, in our sermon series, but, you know, in the creation of man, you have this, you know, worship song in verse 27. So God created man in mm-hmm. his own image. And, and, and that's set off in your English text because in that sense, it is a song or a poem. And so that is one of the weaknesses of this view where it's, you don't really see any of the marks of poetry or any other like stylized language when you're coming to Genesis 1-1. But uh, there's a lot there that can be gleaned from this view. And I think uh, whether you hold to this view or not, or the two other views or any of the others, I think just going back to what we were saying in the beginning that uh, you know this isn't a science textbook, uh, we're affirming history, but I think there it allows for a great diversity of views. Even, John, in our own tradition of the Presbyterian Church in America, I'm, uh, Lord willing, going to take my exams uh, in the fall, and I have to come, you know, very clear on where I stand, but there is, um, there's acceptance of a wide range of views as long as you can defend it well, and so for anyone looking out there, I really hope you, you understand that uh, you know, there's beauty and diversity and, and what we'll see soon, because actually this is the view that I do not take. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about that in a bit. So, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a good point, too. Like we're not in the territory of some of some kind of territory like liberal versus conservative. Right. Right. And I really don't appreciate when people frame it that way, because like th- there are very ancient divergences from 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 whatever the. It, it just seems like there was a per, there's been a plurality for many centuries, like way over a thousand years of like a, a, some, some variants on what exactly is happening with, with the history and, and what we're, what we're supposed to, where we're supposed to stand in terms of like uh, what the day means. Right. So, appreciate that. Any, uh, any other final thoughts on the framework? Nope. Well, we transition. We can, we can move on. I mean, I don't, I guess I will say, since it is my view, I take a little bit of an issue that there's nothing else poetic going on other than uh, verse 27. <laughs> I mean, it's true that other areas of the Pentateuch have a lot of uh, kind of refrains, like in Exodus with the plagues. Right. You have like this refrain of Pharaoh hardening his heart or God hardening his heart, like those 10 plagues. But even that is kind of a hearkening back to the first day of creation. The plagues like represent this kind of uncreation, this disintegration, everything from the sun to the waters, to the, to the sea animals, to the land animals being cursed um, because of like this rivalry between the God of Israel and the gods of, uh, of, of Egypt represented by Pharaoh. And e- even there, they're like, there is a refrain. There is a sing-songy nature to it that just is not there in other historical aspects of the Pentateuch, like really not there in the story of Abraham or the story of Jacob. You know, there's literary stuff going on, but not the same kind of like, like uh, refrains, evening and morning, first day, second day, third day. It was so, you know, it was good. Uh, It's different. So uh, I'll let you have the final word, but I wanted to say, I do, uh, just since it's my view, I wanted to back that up a little bit. Oh, no, that's good. No. And I think, to be honest, John, I go back and forth, uh, <laughs> not on the views, but on the framework view itself, because I think uh, arguments can be made. You're right. It, it can go both ways. And there are strong arguments for it that, you know, uh, and you just listed uh, one that's, you know, I haven't heard of that. And that's like, I'm like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's, that's really great. So, thank you. For well, that. On, on to the next one.
Yeah, so let's move on to uh, the view that I take, which is the uh, 24 hour day view. And so uh, this view just in, in summary, just uh, argues that the days of creation consists of six historical and chronological calendar days arranged in a sequential order followed by a 24 hour Sabbath. And, uh, you know, because the moon and the sun aren't there until, you know, day four, days one to three aren't they're not normal solar days, and yet uh, this, they're, we appeal to God's supernatural power during the creation week to, to get it done in those, in those yep. uh, 24 hours. Um, I take this view because, um, you know, when I look at Genesis, uh, I, I see it as the genre as narrative. And so, you know, Genesis 1 is a historical narrative, you know, helpful with your triangle. Obviously, there's some theological points being made there, but as historical narrative, it's arranged in chronological order. Um, there's an absence of Hebrew poetry, uh, Mark, you know, the marks in Hebrew poetry that point to uh, this actually being, you know, a narrative from Genesis 1-1 onwards. And um, I would say maybe it's just because it's my view, but I think it's easiest to defend uh, from scripture. It's just a plain reading of Genesis. Uh, it reads Genesis for what it is. It's narrative. And there is poetry, but it's clear where it starts. We already got into that a little bit in verse uh, 27. And, you know, the, the essence of Hebrew poetry being uh, these balanced sentences, rhyming ideas. And we see that in themes as, as you made, I made a point, even though it's apparently narrative, and it is, you know, and it was so, and you have all these refrains, and so, you know, arguments can be made there, but I think it's, um, yeah, it's just a very plain uh, reading of the text and uh, very straightforward. And, but I think also, even though it is uh, a plain and straightforward view, uh, I think if you hold this view at times, you can move through the text so quickly without appreciating some of the beautiful things that the framework view is looking at, right? I mean, um, and it, I don't want to say it stops you from slowing down, but it's easy to miss uh, just the beauty in Genesis 1, I think, uh, especially for just uh, people, you know, uh, maybe new to Christianity or just been in the church for a while and take this view, uh, just kind of glossing through it and saying like, okay, okay, like I created everything. Okay, I get it. I get it. But instead of slowing down to really uh, uh, really appreciate what's what's going on uh, here. And so uh, if anyone wants to do more reading on this, uh, E.J. Young on Studies in Genesis 1 is a great volume to read, and Doug Kelly's Creation and Change is also uh, a good volume to, in defense of, of, of this view. And so uh, I would say I, I get into hot water with this view, not often, but I, I do, you know, most of my friends are not most of my friends, but growing up as a pretty much effectively a non-Christian uh, or living two lives, uh, having a lot of conversations with non-Christians, I think the biggest thing that they have a problem with is that it's like clearly science says. <laughs> clearly what we see right. is that the or you, this earth is billions of years old, right? So if you take to a literal 24-hour view, uh, you have to also say that uh, you know, the, the earth is only thousands of years old and, and it's, it's a young earth. So you take a young earth view in that sense. And so uh, to, to um, have you, I mean, have you heard anything differently uh, regarding that, John, or? Well, um, I guess I don't know. I haven't, I haven't studied um, 
views of the earth being 24 hour days that don't involve um, the earth only being thousands of years old and not, um, you know, billions. Um, I'm not familiar with that. Okay, no problem. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so in response to that, when I hear that, it, you have to go into this idea, and this is where I wouldn't say the weaknesses start to shine, but it, it, you do have to kind of do a little bit of mental acrobatics or gymnastics, so to speak, to kind of make it work, so to speak. And so there's this theory out there called the mature creation theory, uh, which basically says that, you know, Adam and Eve, they weren't created as babies and that grew into adults, but instead that they were uh, created as mature adults, which I, which I believe, which I, reading of Genesis 1, fully do believe, you know, out of the dust, Adam was created and he was created a man. So maybe, you know, if a scientist was there or external observer, you know, looking at him, studying his body, saying, well, this is a 25-year-old man, a 30-year-old man, but he, man, he was made five minutes ago. That's crazy, right? So, but like, you know, in terms of the physiology, the body and his makeup and all of that, he has the body of a washed 35-year-old or however, however old it, it would have been. And so if you go from there, you got to take it one step further and say, okay, well, if Adam was created as a 20, you know, however old an adult would have been or, you know, whatever age we, we come to, then these trees and, and the earth and everything in it also were created mature. And so a cross section of a tree at that time would have had rings, even though it was created within 24 hours. And so just in summary, if Adam and trees were created mature, you got to take it one more step further and say that the entire universe was created thousands of years ago, but was created uh, with, uh, you know, this maturity. Uh, and so when we're actually looking at it in terms of like science and uh, these models and all these dating things, we have this explanation of just saying like, well, God created it uh, you know, out of nothing, but created it mature. And so uh, I also recognize that it's, um, it, I wouldn't say it's a stretch, but like I said before, you do need to do a little bit of uh, mental exercises to kind of make it work. I, I still believe that uh, it, it feels like a cop-out answer of just saying, well, God can do anything, so why couldn't he do that? It's not what I'm saying here. But, but in reality, you know, if we start with Adam being created mature uh, as a full grown adult, and then you, you keep going from there, it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that God created this universe in a mature way. Uh, but then it's also, I don't know, I've heard it said like, that's kind of sneaky of God. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, the, the, yeah, the, the, this is not. This is not my my phrase, but the 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 pejorative way of describing it is Jesus burying dinosaur bones. Right, <laughs> right. So, like, yeah, I know, and it and it's well taken. Like, there 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 is a, a point to be honored that you're making. In one sense, everybody's case rests on God can do anything. Mm -hmm. Everybody, sure. So that should not be scorned. That that point. One one thing that I uh, am not going to do, Victor. And I don't think I've done it yet, but I'm not going to do it from this point on is get into much more of the science of it, which I do study and muse about, but very helpfully uh, when we were doing elder training, um, uh, Julian Spiegler, who's now a ruling elder of our church, um, we were doing 
just some stuff on um, emotional health of, and spiritual health of uh, leaders of the church. And got a little bit into the development of the brain and physiology, very different, you know, uh, you know, just the, the science of human anatomy. And I was kind of using some of the stuff in the book to do a little bit of elder training. And Julian very helpfully said, John, I think it's probably best if the pastors leave the science to the scientists. <laughs> and I said, touche. And I haven't tried to stray too much out of my field since then. Um, but uh, in, terms of, in terms of strengths, if I may, um, you're right. There, there are some other passages in scripture that um, seem to refer back to the six days of creating things in six days. And it is a, there's a version of that that's a straightforward reading. Um, not to call it a weakness, but one other take of that is that it's possible that the Israelites understood even those six days in a bit of another of a different sense. Yes, they had six day work weeks, but it's possible that they were thinking of that in an in, in analogous way, in an, in an analogous way that necess wasn't necessarily only literal. We work six days, God works six days, sure, but in an analogous way, like um, uh, I'm thinking of a great example right now, but something like um, you know, uh, like sunrises and sunsets. Does it really rise? No, but we all know what we're talking about. Right. <clears throat> you know, uh, we're turning. Sun isn't, sun isn't rising. Um, like there were things like that in the, in the Hebrew imagination as well, I would suggest. So one other possibility just that I throw out there that when, when we come uh, across these other passages in scripture that refer back to Genesis 1, it really is possible that something analogous is going on, not not totally calendar day literal it's possible and and it's, it's the position that i happen to take the other thing i'd say is um i just don't know how if you're looking at a materialist view of genesis 1 i don't know how you take a, a strictly materialist view of both genesis 1 and genesis 2 mm. because in genesis 2 uh you get you know a creation account where you have uh into verses five and following about the creation of man it says when no bush of the field was yet right. in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung that's when a mist was going up and god created man so it does seem like if uh, the green plants were created on day three uh, god jumped ahead in genesis two god jumped ahead to day six before the work of day three was done and so if the goal is a strict materialist view i actually if you take both one and two together, I'm not convinced that you're, you're, you're even, even if you try to take it as literally as possible, and uh, uh, I, I, I do insert a version of literalism in this, uh, although not, not to the denigration of the aesthetic. Um, I just don't know how you take a strict materialist approach to both one and two, and I've heard some versions, but they just don't necessarily convince me so it leads me to believe again something different is going on than a strict materialist reading of one or two um and i i tend towards something more materialist going on in 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 one at least uh but though the there's both both have their figurative aspects um not to say there's nothing historical going on yeah. so i think that the weakness of the calendar debut is genesis 2 creates a few problems for it in my humble opinion no i i absolutely agree with that as well so i'm glad you brought that up yeah super helpful all right um 
any concluding thoughts? Maybe that, that could have been your concluding thought on the- No, I mean, I got a lot of respect for people with this view. It's, it's sometimes, in some ways, man, I found it to be the view of people who are just like, there's so many different ways it could go. I don't want to get cute. I don't want to mess with it. I want to honor it. And I'm not saying you have to take this view in order to do that. But I think, I think it's, it's um, there's, a, there's a version of the simple reading that, I mean, I, I do think some other genre things are going on in Genesis 1 and 2, maybe more than you do. Um, that, you know, but I, I, in, in, in virtually all the other areas of scripture, I do really favor the simple reading. Like, you know, Paul's writing a letter to a church. Let's not act like he was being, you know, writing poetry when he's saying, hey, stop that. Right. <laughs> oh, he didn't really mean it. He didn't really mean it. He was talking about something else. Right. Um, you get a lot of trouble with that. Um, and uh, or, or like saying like, oh, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. They're just doing something figurative. And then mm-hmm. Paul, like, you know, a couple books of the Bible later is like, yeah, if you think that you're not a Christian and, you know, go, why don't you just get as drunk as you possibly can? because that's the only thing you're alive for, you know? So you do want to value simple readings. You do. You don't want to play games or get cute. Um, and so I do think that that's a strength. You know, God help us if we're trying to wiggle out of um, what seems to be, you know, the, the, the clearer meaning of scripture. I'm just not, I'm just, with, with all that's going on in one and two, I'm not clear that's the, that that's the clearest reading. But I do, I do really think, I know, and I know so many people who are just committed to the, the clarity of it. And um, that's part of what I appreciate about the approach. No, oh, thanks for all those comments. That's really helpful. Uh, yeah. Just, just to, as we transition into the third view, a quick uh, yeah. summary of framework view, uh, highly stylized. It takes uh, Genesis 1 as a highly stylized text, days 1, 2, 3 as the, the creation kingdoms or uh, the playing field for which God then fills in days four through six, uh, day seven, um, tune in Sunday for John's sermon on that, uh, as he'll go more in depth. Yeah, a couple more Sundays. A couple more Sundays. For, for, uh, yeah. Um, for, de- for, for Genesis two. Okay. Yeah. For Genesis two. And then a uh, 24 hour view is as the name states that each day was 24 hours. Um, last field John will take a look at today, uh, would be the day age view and yeah. basically this this view treats the days of creation as six sequential days uh, much like the 24-hour view but instead of 24-hour days they are distinct six distinct periods of time where god is working through processes and development of plants and animal life and so it, it looks at genesis 1 and says this is a long period of time that's corresponding with whole geological ages rather than merely 24-hour days long. And so uh, where it really hangs its hat on is this wide semantic range of like the word yom, the Hebrew word for a day. It's like, it's got a lot of meanings, right? And so you look, mm-hmm. even in uh, Genesis uh, 1 itself, you see in verse 5, right? God is calling the light day, right? So it's like, okay, that's that's what we have here. Daytime is, you know, when it's light out, it's daytime, but also a period of 24 hours, you know, for day and night, right? Esther, don't drink or eat for three days, night and day. It's like, oh, okay. So it's what we're encompassing there. And also like unspecified period of time, the great day of the Lord is near, Zephaniah, right? If you faint in the day of adversity, 
your strength is small. Right? Proverbs 24, it's not saying like, okay, you know, on the 12th mm-hmm. of May, that's your day of adversity, but that's it's right. talking about uh, um, a, a period of time. And so uh, really it looks at that and says, it appears that, you know, we can use day in a lot of different ways. And so we're not locked into this 24 hour view. And so, uh, and especially when we look at day seven, it's a, it's an everlasting. We briefly touched upon it, but you know, if you go to Hebrews three to four, we see that you know, uh, re- referencing back to Psalm ninety five, where David is pressing Israel towards this eternal rest that God is, you know, where He's at right now. And so, uh, that's the day age theory. And I think uh, so- uh, I'll, I'll throw one out, one other one out there that I think is close to heart for the day age view, folks. It's, it's right at the beginning of Genesis 2, where like this beginning of this, you know, what, what we believe is like a, not an alternative creation account, but a supplementary, right. com- complementary uh, creation account, um, where it begins by saying, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God mm-hmm. made in the earth and the right. heavens. It's definitely talking about more than one day. Yeah. It's like yeah, in, the, in the long, long ago, Absolutely. in the before time. You know, yeah. <laughs> so and like so that since that use of day is like right there right right, <laughs> right there. Like, like four verses after genesis one that you that use of day is very different than the one that you have used for the most part in genesis one so yeah in addition to the many you did a great job summarizing day means more than one thing of course right. it does and the hebrews knew that the israelites yeah, so yeah no no that's super helpful yeah that's i mean right there in genesis two yeah, yeah. use of the day yep um, and I, I know you said, you know, um, we won't go there too much, but in general, this view is in better accord with scientific discoveries and modern geology and dating methods that's showing that actually our earth is billions of years old. And like I said before, to create you know, a young earth that looks old might be deceptive. And so one strength, I think, is that it really takes serious what secular scientists have been doing in terms of trying to date the earth uh, really uh, applying what they know and and trying to push more and more to get uh, a little more closer into like how old uh, how long has this planet been you know in existence what's going on where are we going and all of that and so uh and i think it also sorry yeah so that's all i'll say there in terms of uh, it's got good things going for it. Uh, in terms of weaknesses, I would say, we, I think, and I think you mentioned in the introduction, we do have to actually figure out what to do with death uh, because you have fossils, yeah. right? You have, uh, right. What do you do you with have death? Like, yeah. you know, petrified trees and all this stuff. Is What do you do? Because it's clear that death is brought upon by sin and the curse uh, on uh, man, but on creation as a whole. And so that's a big question of, uh, you know, what, what do you do there in terms of reconciling death? And uh, I have, to be honest, I haven't heard great responses to that. Maybe I haven't looked hard enough, but uh, to me, that's, re- that's really where I get hung up on this view, where I saying like, yeah, it's great because I think, you know, we can engage with scientific data and, you know, we can, you know, not harmonize, but bring scripture, a historical account with science together, and it works out great. But then you get, you know, to Genesis 3. So <laughs> it's very clear here that death is a consequence of the fall. 
And so I don't know if, if you have any thoughts on that or uh, any comments there. Well, we'll get, we'll get there a little later in the series, but for now, it is an important point. Um, and it is also, again, this is a question that was there a long time ago. This is not a modern scientific question um, that's like weird to put on the text. Uh, this, is, this is not weird at all. The, the, one of the questions is how can there be death? And this is a very ancient question. And um, one of the questions you want to bring in is um, that I, I need to basically uh, check my footnotes on this in terms of ancient writers. But I know uh, how many theologians try to deal with the issue. And one is, uh, well, let me just put it in the form of a question. Is it an assumption that we bring to scripture that any kind of death whatsoever whatsoever is the result of the fall. Mm. And so one of the texts you want to hold is Romans 5, where Paul says, through one man, he's talking about Adam, uh, sin entered the world and death through sin. But as you read on that passage, I believe it's Romans 5 and 5.12 and following. You, you do get that he is talking specifically, at least in Romans 5, he is speaking specifically about human death. And so one of the things that people ask is, well, in the, on the third day of Genesis 1, we're told about plant life, which is supposed to reproduce according to its kind. Now, everything from the cultivation of a plant, uh, I mean, this is certainly in view in the Genesis 2 account, if not Genesis 1, but something coming up from the ground, something creating seed, that seed falling in the ground and cultivating something else. This is part of what it means to be very good. I mean, God says so the ability of the plant life to reproduce according to its kind. And so part of God's good creation, I mean, it's hard for me to understand what it involves if it doesn't involve the death of plant life. Mm. And so I don't know how much someone is willing to really fight and wrestle with that. Now it is also clear, and we will get into this this Sunday, is, um, is there any kind of real, uh, real division between animate life and inanimate life? You know, we see life in the first three days plant life. We see animate life the next three days, birds, fish, beasts of the earth, and human beings. Um, and it's only in uh, animate life that they have the Ruach Elohim, All the right, spirit right. of God, uh, the nefesh chayah, the, the, uh, the, the, the living souls. You know, that's a whole other thing. In the Hebrew mind, plants didn't have souls, animals did. Now, they didn't have human souls, mm -hmm. but the, 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 the word of self and certainly the Greek translation of the Hebrew, the, the Septuagint, which, you know, uh, the apostles were reading, um, uh, used the word for soul to refer to animal life. Um, and uh, that is a little different, but still, you know, you have animals like great white sharks, you know, that were created for the tearing of at least... Uh, at, at, at least other fish and maybe see well, yeah that's another strength and is so you like don't have you know, you, this idea of like so sharks actually ate vegetables before the fall and then after the fall they ate fish like this view and, you don't have to take that to you and birds eating earthworms and right, things like right, this right. so like so like was it necessary to say it was only through the fall of adam's sins that birth that birds began eating earthworms i mean this is really what we're talking about and right. this is something that the ancients got into they were concerned with this 
And um, you know, again, I don't want to I want I don't want to go quoting out of my depth here because I need a refresher here. But in terms of modern theologians, this is one place they go. Is is it possible to say, is it possible to say that yes, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, but is it possible that we're talking about human death here? And that was what Paul was mainly concerned about. And that's what the that's what Moses and his editors were mainly concerned about in Genesis 1 through 3, because the main point is human beings is the crown of creation and how we operate as worshipers within God's cosmic temple. The death, the curse of death on human beings is mainly what's in view. Of course, there's aspects. There's aspects of the fall that involves the cursing of the ground and the, the frustration of the land and bringing forth the fruit of the earth that wasn't there prior to the fall. But is it do we have to say that plant life didn't die, that birds couldn't eat earthworms before Adam and Eve sinned? I don't necessarily think so. Mm. Um, and uh, that's part of the bigger conversation. But yeah, that's in view in the day age view. And I'll say again, I think a lot of day age view people also use framework. And a lot of the 24 hour calendar view people also use aspects of framework. Like, like right, you know what I'm right, saying? Like, right. like they're noticing the frame. So I, if that answers your question, hopefully there, yeah. there is. No, no, that, that's, all those comments were really helpful. Uh, I take the opposite view of you in the sense okay. of, I, I do believe that, you know, uh, original sin brought about death for, you know, all things. And so that's the first, uh, and because my reading of Genesis 3 is, and you do have to, I don't think you read into it, but implicitly, I think there's something significant going on when, Added, the Lord is making Adam and Eve garments of skin to clothe them. And I think that's the first instance of death that we see uh, in scripture, uh, where an animal is slaughtered to make those skins. God is not out of nothing, boom, here's some skins to wear. But what was promised to Adam and Eve was death upon their disobedience. Yeah. But instead happened yeah. in a temporary stay because of a covering that God has made for them with the death of an animal. And so for me, even though it does sound silly, I recognize which it. is which is already only a type of a human death. Right, right. That's right. actually the covering. The actual covering that of Adam and Eve is a human being who is Jesus Christ. Right, right. And the, even the, and then the animal all along was only a type. Your case, your your point is 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 well taken though. Um, that is definitely the first sacrifice, and um, for the first first blood sacrifice mm -hmm. in Genesis three, and. Um, and definitely changes things. Uh, and again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding those things loosely. We're getting down into the perplexity of like, yeah, uh, some, some, some places that, you know, you don't get grilled on your ordination exam, for example. <laughs> uh, but, but taking a second, you can't stop taking a second, third, fourth, hundredth pass at these texts and not see new things and bringing questions back. Mm -hmm. And so I do not want to surrender the Apostle Paul for a modern scientific, something that would please modern scientific ears in my reading of Genesis one and two. That's not what I'm interested in, in three. Um, but um, these are ancient questions and um, um, this is sharpening me, you know, makes me want to go back, Cer certainly sharpening in terms of where, where we, how we really want to, you know, metabolize these passages for spiritual food in our, in our sermons in the weeks ahead. Yeah. Um, well, John, we're coming up on an hour now, so maybe yeah. a good place to... Uh, Probably a good place to stop. I, I will say, uh, day-age view, there are some really interesting... I mean, I'll say a weakness 
um they got you gotta get into like um again i it's not my personal view that it's the point to try to make these chronologically the way that it worked out i mean i don't know how much a day ager needs the order is it pretty important is it pretty important that, that, that the days like creation pretty strictly follows the order of the days in terms of the material creation over the course of eons like it's super important that that day four came after like the sun came after plant life or is that not really important to I a day i mean i in my readings of days i think the chronological sequence is important but it's not where they're really hanging their hat on but it is embedded in that view that the okay. the order is important there yeah yeah okay so um yeah i've heard i've heard opinions like the let there be light wasn't the sun yet it was like the pre-cosmic yeah. dust <laughs> dust cloud that was kind of like cloudy light while stars stars were still being formed mm -hmm. but then it then you got to say like the waters were cleared away and the plants started growing before the sun was out. Like if you really like it almost is like begging to be a, to like a, be a strict materialist, but you really can't be. With right. Or excuse me, you're really begging to be a modern scientist with the materialist view of, 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 of Genesis one, but you still really can't be like, it's like a slow semi-merge that really isn't really a merger after all in my in my humble opinion i think that's one of the weaknesses although you know we've already discussed some of the strengths right. yeah so. um yeah any any other final concluding thoughts john as we close this episode out yeah i think my final concluding thought is like i think even in terms of we really the reason I'm a Christian is not because I read Genesis one and I was confident that I had the right view and merged it right with my biology textbook and was able to somehow carry around the assumptions of ancient Israel and like form them together mm. with all of my modern understandings in a way that was perfectly harmonized. And then I found out I could follow Jesus. No. How did I become a Christian? I heard about the news of who Jesus was of course, mixed with my looking around Romans one, there's like Psalm 19, you open your eyes and, and, and something in you is yelling. So the scriptures would have us believe something in us all is yelling, not random creator on purpose, meaning here and the gospel combining with that, which of course there's implications in the not random awareness of some part of my soul that includes me being aware that I'm not worthy of it. And I've done some harm and I need forgiveness and redemption and all that. And the story of Jesus, of the Messiah coming and both the great sacrifice required, but the great love that motivated it and the great hope and me being joined, at, joined up with the eternal purpose of all things. That's why I'm a Christian. Right. And so um, I think it's just important to come back to that. And it's okay for me to stay. I, I, do, I do really value Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Why? Because along with the rest, rest of the Old Testament, it's Jesus understood the history of Israel as the story he was fulfilling. And so to understand as much of Jesus as I can, I have to, have to see him as Israel's Messiah. And I, I, that comes with that, the, the, the Hebrew scriptures. And so I go back with all of that 
back. And so obviously my understanding of sin, I, have, I can't just abandon that to read Genesis 1 and 2 now, even though I know more now about the whole story of the world than Moses did. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you, so, so you don't ever want to root, lose that frame. And um, we have clearer revelation now you know, the whole old illustration of the Old Testament is like a dimly lit room that's well furnished, but Jesus shows up by the power of the Holy Spirit after his resurrection and his ascension, pours out the spirit on the church, and it's like the lights come on, and you see how amazing the whole room is because it's now well lit for the first time. That's how we see the Old Testament. And so we can look at the New Testament and say, okay, this is the stuff that's most clear to us, and we actually want to use this as like the normative major interpretation of all that came before and so our commitment for that like couldn't be bigger so um i don't i don't mind going back with that grid to genesis 1 2 and 3 and saying okay looking at this with a fresh lens and saying what do i not want to give up well the way i came to faith Mm-hmm. The way I understand Jesus, what I know about sin, what I know about the resurrection, what I know about the new creation and everything that's coming back. And at the same time saying, I still got all these unanswered questions. So even some of the stuff we've talked about today, I, I suppose I could put more in the category of musing with a seatbelt on mm-hmm. um, and uh, willing to walk back a few things upon further reflection, but this will keep happening. You keep going back to what's clearest. Jesus, the gospel, the teaching of the apostles, and then going back into all the other scriptures and combing through again with a fresh, fresh awareness and, and kind of the cycle goes on and on and on and on. So um, what, what am I saying with all that? I guess I'm just saying that's how it works. That's why I think there's a lot more at stake in our understanding of Jesus's physical resurrection than there is in like, what exactly did it look like on that first day when God said, let there be light? You know, um, so I want to be humble. I want to be charitable. I want to put first things first, I guess. And that's not an excuse for not having a careful understanding of Genesis one, but it's why like, you know, we as Christians do handle as important as creation is there's aspects of interpretation of Genesis one through three, really, that I think we hold with a little bit more of an open hand and say, you know, first Corinthians 15, you know, Luke 24, Mark right. 16. So with that, that's my final word. All right. Thanks. This was, this was super helpful for me. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm glad we had this conversation. And if anyone who's watching or listening, feel free to submit any questions that you have about this or anything you have, any questions you have about Christianity, our sermon series, or anything that you're coming across in your reading or in scripture, I'd love to hear from you. Victor at liberty.org. And Hopefully we'll continue to do these episodes um, as often as we can. So with that, um, I guess we can close.